0: Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and you're listening to the Lakeside Church Weekly Message Podcast. This is where we broadcast our Sunday morning teaching, so if you missed it or want to hear it again, you're in the right place. Every week, we try to teach God's Word in a way that is real so that it becomes alive to you as you hear it. If this message speaks to you in any way, let us know by clicking on our website's contact page at lakesidelife.org, where you can find out more about the church, watch some videos, and even give online. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the podcast. Have you ever felt lonely like you didn't have a friend in the world when you are going through something tough? Anybody ever felt like that? Okay, right? And it tends to be those toughest times, right, when you really need your friends, right? And uh, who brought the stool up, by the way, for me? Tim Tim did? Man, that guy. That's a friend right there. This is just, you know, he's the best. And, uh, yeah. Thank you, buddy. I I really appreciate that. So this passage, what I want to do is I actually, uh, I really want to share very, very personally day and have a good application. And so we're going to kind of zip through the story. I'm going to point out some things as we zip through, and we're, and we're going to do a big block of application at the end. Okay, And so um, if you start at Matthew 26, and, and uh, I'm sorry the wrong passage is up there, but it's 57 through 75, I assure you. That's not a problem. Uh, so those, those who had arrested Jesus led him away to Caiaphas the high priest, where the scribes and elders had convened and meanwhile, Peter was following him at a distance, right to the high priest's courtyard. He went in, and was sitting with the temple police to see the outcome. Okay, we've talked about Peter. We've talked about, you know, how scared he was. We need to really get our arms around what a big deal this is. We've talked about uh, two weeks ago. This is during a week when Jesus starts out his week by overturning temple or uh, the temple uh, the the tables in the temple courtyard making enemies left and right, has this big speech, Wrote to the scribes and the Pharisees, and uh, they're poisoning everybody's minds, and, and uh, he's being confronted, and he is really revealing now uh, that he's the Messiah to them, and they're asking him outright, and he's not denying it anymore. He is the Messiah, and they're really upset with him, and earlier on, uh, they tried to actually have him killed, but they were fearing the people, They've now colluded together, Every, all, the, all the religious leaders have colluded together on this one night to trap him. They've bought out one of his friends, Judas, they bought him off so that he's in the right place at the right time so that they can arrest him in the dead of night. Why? Because there'd be no other people around. To, to, you know, Jesus had a following. There'd be no other people around. Uh, that would, that would uh, stop them from doing it. They wouldn't have this, you know. So they just had to buy out one of his disciples. Where is he going to be tonight? This kind of thing. Maybe it was even Judas who, who suggested that they go to the specific place in the garden to pray. Who knows? But he was bought out, right? And so here they are. And uh, they get arrested. Or it, uh, Jesus gets arrested. And Peter, um, now he has that whole episode where he cuts off a guy's ear. And Jesus uh, fixes it. And he says that's not the time for that kind of thing. But he is nonetheless, while he might have reacted in what would seem like to be um, bravery, um, he might be seeing how foolish this is now. Because this seems to be that he's kind of sleeking along and, and, and following at a distance. He wants to know what's going to happen. But he's not fighting anymore. Now this is a big deal, guys. They're in court now. They've, they've convened this court. It has to be done right. They've convened this council of 70 people. Take them right into the court, okay? And uh, they have this trial. And this is all a very safe face politically motivated thing. They have to follow the law, so they have to have two witnesses. It almost appears the subtext here is that Caiaphas was such in a rush to do this that he didn't do his homework enough. He brought witnesses because he had to have at least two of them, but apparently he didn't verify what they were going to say beforehand, okay? Because Um, uh, what we find is uh, that uh, the witnesses that he brought, okay, um, uh, earlier, uh, the witnesses that he brought, he couldn't find anything that they could charge him with from their testimony. And so, finally, uh, somebody is going to testify to that. But I want to impress upon yourself to put yourself in Peter's place. You're now sitting uh, kind of with the temple police, and this is a very official thing that's happening. Put yourself in, in modern times. Certainly, this is at least like, you know, some kind of congressional hearing where somebody's really, and it's televised, and somebody's really being grilled by these people, except this has the force of law behind it. Oftentimes, in those congressional hearings, that's just political, right? Sometimes that's just so that a senator or congressman can get their airtime, you know, going at this guy and look like they're tough on crime, okay? But these guys here are not only doing that, which they're doing it, but they also have the power to right then sentence him, okay, like like, like take him away and and, and issue the, the verdicts here. And so if we continue reading, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false testimony against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they couldn't find any, even though many false witnesses had come forward. And finally two came forward and stated, this man said, I can demolish God's sanctuary and rebuild it in three days. Now we remember what Jesus actually said, tear down this temple, and I'll rebuild it in three days. And uh, they, he might have been intentionally coy with his words there because he was standing outside the temple at the time. He didn't seem that it was necessary for him to uh, clarify what he meant. And, uh, and so he just let it hit them how it was going to hit them. They brought it into court. And so they give him a chance here. The high priest then stood up and said to him, Don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. Remember Isaiah 53 said that uh, in front of his accusers he wouldn't open his mouth, right? And, uh, but Jesus kept silent and the high priest said to him, By the living God, I place you under oath. Tell us, if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And this is finally, he's not going to be silent anymore. That's the one thing he wants them to know very clearly. You have said it, Jesus told him. But I tell you, in the future you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. This is right in the middle of a courtroom, okay? And Jesus is like, or Peter has got to be like, oh, jeez, you know, you know what I mean? Like, of all the things, you were keeping silent the whole time. We could have gotten out of here, you know? The one thing you could have said, you know? Oh, my goodness, he's looking for a way out, perhaps, and uh, the high priest, as Peter's like, you know, tears his robes, and Peter's like, here we go. There we go. You know? He's blasphemed. Why do we still need witnesses? He's saying it himself. The, the defendant is saying it himself, right? Look now, you've heard blasphemy. What is your decision? Okay. And they answered, he deserves death. And then they spit in his face and beat him. And others slapped him and said, "Prophesy to us, Messiah! Who hit you?" I want to point out to you that when Mark is recounting this thing, it says that they blindfolded him first. Oh, you know, for whatever reason, what's going through my—I'm still going to these congressional hearings. Okay, a lot of these guys, a lot of these guys, they want to be seen by their compadres, right? Slapping and spitting in his face and stuff like that, right? And uh, but here's—if I'm them, okay. I've heard testimony. Perhaps I've seen with my own eyes the miracles this guy's done. I need him to be blindfolded when I do it, right? I mean, I, he, that's it's cowardly. I'd like I'd like the street cred of hitting this guy and spitting on his face. And so when they ask me, "Well, how come you blindfolded them if you're so brave to hit him?" I'm just going to say, "Well, he's the guy who said he was a prophet. He should have known who hit him, you know, or something like that." But this is a really cowardly. Cowardly act. It's really what's amazing is um, when people get out in public and start tearing lashes off of an innocent person, we know it's a cowardly act, and yet that's sometimes the most scared I've ever been, like just living in this country sometimes too. right? Like if I'm Peter in the room and seeing this act of cowardliness, it doesn't make me more brave. It makes me more concerned that this is the world I'm living in. Where people are so concerned about saving face, they're so concerned about their own, you know, it's it, it, all their own agendas and stuff like that that they don't even recognize the injustice that's going on. That's the kind of cowardliness that actually strikes fear in my heart. That's the kind of world we live in. You know what I mean? Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant approached him and she said, "You were with Jesus the Galilean, too." But he denied in front of everyone, "I don't know what you're talking about." And when he had gone out to the gateway, another woman saw him and told those who were there, this man was with Jesus, the Nazarene. And uh, again, he denied it with an oath. I don't know the man. I don't know if there's anything to this, by the way, but it's interesting that they're talking about Jesus being from Galilee and Jesus being from Nazareth. Um, It's just interesting. I don't know if there's something to that, but if there's anything to that, um, if I'm Peter... And I'm wondering, I'm now out in the more courtyard. This is where the people in public would actually gather. There's more people out there, okay? Everything's been happening, you know, in the court, okay? Outside of that now, all the people are gathering. And if you're wondering, I wonder if what they're saying in there is getting out into here. These first two ways, the first woman comes, Jesus of Galilee, okay? The next one, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, maybe... That's just, they've heard that those are places that, that he taught well and things like this. But see, if you were to call him Jesus from Bethlehem or from the house of David, they know that that's really the lineage of the Messiah. This could be a denial. And Peter's now seeing it in the common people. They're denying just in their language that they believe that this man is really the Messiah. So the kind of the public swell of support for Jesus seems to be waning, perhaps, for Peter. It's just, if it's there, perhaps it's more evidence of why Peter is more and more afraid here, right? And so he says, again, I don't know the man. And a little while, after a little while, those standing there approached and said to Peter, you are certainly one of them, since even your accent gives you away. And I put in brackets speech, um, because uh, it's probably it seems to be more fitting here. The, um, the manner of speech manner of speech, gives you away, and you see it's more fitting because of what happens next. So he begins to curse and to swear an oath. Jesus one time taught his disciples not to swear an oath, right? Uh, he begins to curse and to swear an oath, almost so he can prove that he's not one of these, I don't know the man, and immediately a ro- rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you would deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. I read that this time around, and I thought, you know, a rooster didn't crow to the third time um, because Jesus said it would be three times. But I read more weight into the third time this time because I saw that that's when Jesus, like, not just tried, oh, I've never heard of him. He changed his actions. And all of a sudden, he was so afraid that the way he lived and the way he was acting denied Christ. And that's when. And that's why it was so gripping for him. Probably not just the three times, right? He went outside and wept bitterly. You know, if you've ever been disloyal to someone, and I hate to admit it, but I have. And if you've ever been disloyal to someone, um, or I'm going to have to clarify what I mean by disloyal in a minute. But let me just say that disloyalty can cause a real um, chaos in your spirit. And it can rip your life apart. It can make you start to question other relationships in your life. And certainly it questions where you're going. And it just seems to rip at the peace that's in your life. When we say we're one thing, and then behind someone's back we're another thing. You know, when we love somebody only when they're around. And it causes a disloyalty. And it, and it causes strife. And we know that. And sometimes what happens is we justify it by saying, if I, for example, if I'm just using the easy one, which is that I talk behind someone's back. Let's say someone like Kathy. This is a safe one because I talk about her behind her back all the time. But uh, no, no. Just joking. If I'm talking, if I, if I went and, and hung out with my good friend Tim and I was talking about Kathy, and, and you know how you, you talk about, at least for me, it's like, uh, you understand I'm only t- telling you this because I really love Kathy, Tim, and I want her to get help or something, okay? But uh, my goodness, she's a piece of work. You notice that? You notice that? Well, don't, don't even answer. Let me just tell you. Uh, what happens is, as long as I've prefaced it, as long as I've prefaced it, and I understand that Tim actually does love Kathy, probably more than I do, because he's not the one talking about her behind her back right now. But if Tim loves, loves her, I feel like I'm in a safe zone. He's not going to repeat what I'm saying. He understands that I just need somewhere to vent, because she's really driving me crazy lately or something like this, you know? I just need somewhere to vent. And what, I, if you've ever excused your actions that way, and if you've ever excused your actions that way, but if you ever excused your actions that way, what you're failing to realize is, yes, maybe it didn't hurt Tim, and maybe it didn't hurt Kathy, because you can trust him. You're failing to realize what it does to you. What it does to you when you are disloyal to somebody that way. It does something to us when we're disloyal to each other. It does something internally that we don't quantify in the moment. And, uh, and, and because of that, we, we, we end up failing to see it until it's too late, and it has yielded a harvest of a certain type of character in a life that's really unhealthy at best and ungodly at worst, right? And, and so that's the kind of thing that, that really concerns me. And I was trying to think, what is loyalty really at its root? And this is why I think this is a great one for Mother's Day. Loyalty at its root, I really believe, is unconditional love. In the Bible, it's, sometimes you'll see it phrased this uh, when you're talking in, in the New Testament letters. Uh, Paul encouraged them to have steadfast love for each other. Or to remain faithful to each other. Steadfast love, faithful love, unconditional uh, love. Ask yourself that. Are Are you steadfastly faithful to all of your friends? Are you steadfastly faithful to all of your friends? In Matthew 26, earlier in this chapter, Peter said to Jesus, Even if everyone runs away because of you, I will never run away. Loyalty is something... Be desired. Peter desired it for himself. It's something to be desired. It's a character trait that's really, really something that we ought to desire. I said before that Proverbs 17 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother, but a brother is born for a difficult time. Okay? Right? Um, That's one of those parallel things. They both mean the same thing. A friend loves at all times, a brother is born for a difficult time, for adversity in some of your translations. Okay? Proverbs 18.24 says, A man with many friends, as I was quoting earlier, may be harmed, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. Sometimes we quantify our relationships by the quantity of them instead of the quality of them. Right? How many really deep friends, if they're really deep friends, how many do you really need, right? And that's why sometimes when we don't have that, we tend to um, try to make up for the lack of quality with quantity. That's why I personally am proud of the fact I have over 600 Facebook friends. So, um, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of it. It's something you have to uh, fight for. And... um, I was thinking about, you know, obviously, the obvious thing here when you're thinking about loyalty and unconditional love, who loves you more unconditionally than your mom, right? I mean, mothers are so unconditional. And, and we have the obvious um, uh, illustration of this in, uh, in Christ um, uh, this week, giving his life on the cross, uh, uh, forsaking himself. If you allow me to just be a little lighthearted for a second, okay? What does loyalty really look like? And for me, Ever since Christmas, I have this new illustration in my life. What is more loyal than a dog? You know what I mean? I come home. When I come home... And I walk in my door. That dog runs right up to me and sits her hands on my shoulder, her paws on her shoulders. Right, I have to lean down, gets her paws, and just goes, "I love you, I love you, I love you." I have been waiting all day for you to come home. I've been sitting right here. How you doing? How you doing? I love you, and kiss, 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 kiss. Remember yesterday? Remember that thing we did when you threw the ball? Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go with her. I just want to spend time, you know. And, and so I'm going, "Oh, that's so great to see you." And I'm petting her and everything. And this lasts about five minutes, and finally I'm like, "All right, enough." I don't have time all day to just play with a dog, right? I mean, come on. I mean, it's, it's fun for a minute, but let's, let's be reasonable here. Down. And imagine if I did that to some of you, <laughs> right? But I'm just, you know, and, and, and how does that dog respond when I act like that? How does that dog respond? Still she goes, oh, okay. I'm, uh, I'm sorry. I'm too needy sometimes. I'm... Listen, how about this? What if, I, uh, what if I just sat here and just looked at you? What if I just watched you and, and when you're ready, maybe when you're ready to play with me, I'll get excited again? Okay? That's how a dog reacts. Okay? That's loyalty. Okay? Is that not do- a dog for you, right? This thing, when my, uh, on, especially Tuesdays and Wednesdays, that's when the rest of the family goes out. I work from home and um, uh, this, this dog comes and lays right on top of my feet all day long while I'm coding. You know, wants to go out at any time when I get up. She looks at me. Is it now? Is it now? Oh, okay. You know, I mean that's that's what it is all day long, you know. No matter how I treat her, no matter how I treat her, that's loyalty. Uh, I don't worry about what she's saying behind my back, and uh, um, I just think that that's it. think I think it's a good illustration. I think we, we ought to we ought to continue that. Uh, you have to uh, loyalty is something uh, I don't have to earn. I don't have to earn my um, my dog's loyalty to me. What I find is I have to fight to be loyal to others. I've got to fight for this. If we desire to be loyal, I want to be a loyal friend. You who are my friends, I want to be loyal to you. I confess sometimes I have not been um, in the true sense of the word. I think, i have not intentionally, I, I don't think I've gone into something intentionally trying to be disloyal to you. And I only preface that by saying I don't hold any evil to anybody. But sometimes my own anguish over How I might feel... Have I ever bothered anybody, by the way, here in this church before? Michael, you'll admit that, okay? Right? I I want you to acknowledge that because I'll acknowledge that every now and then one of you will bother me, okay? One of you will bother me. And during those times I'm really tempted maybe when I'm venting at least to my wife to be disloyal to you. Now my wife is great for me because she... And I both have this thing with each other that one of one of us starts talking about another person, the other one will start extolling the virtues of the person we're talking about, and, and that way we, we um, uh, make the other make each other feel guilty. And what are marriages for if you're not going to make each other feel guilty? But um, but no, it's really good accountability. So that's why I don't vent to my wife when I don't want to feel guilty. I vent to somebody else. Okay. And, and I, I really want to get rid of that, and, and, and I do try to catch myself doing it. I hope that every now and then, if you hear me talking to you about somebody else, that you hear me turn it around by the end of the conversation and realize what I'm doing. We have to fight for this, um, this idea of being loyal. And uh, I wanted to just talk about, uh, so loyalty is something to be desired, and then just um, uh, 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 two other things. So that, out of order here, but ro- loyalty requires not listening to slander. That's what I've been talking about. And then the last one I had was, um, I think loyalty requires confrontation. Okay, I think loyalty requires confrontation. Um, I think the best friends that we have are friends who will, um, uh, they've earned the place in our life. Some of you guys, I mean, I'm sure if I came to you and, and tried to bring you up short on something, it's not going to go well. You know why? Because I haven't earned that yet. Okay, I haven't earned that with you. And some of you have. And, um, and you're going to find that in your own life. We don't, we're not all going like to have 80 people who are that close to each other. What we need is a few people in the church that you, that you have given permission in your life to speak truth into it, okay? And true loyalty, I believe, requires confrontation. I really do believe if you're loyal to someone and you see them doing something that's destructive to their marriage, for example, it's your job to be loyal to them by speaking truth to them. Uh, In Matthew 18, 15, uh, this is another way of saying it. It's that if your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. What that's really saying is if somebody wrongs you, our tendency is to go and tell everybody else about my grief. It's important if you're loyal to the person. If somebody's offended you and you're the type of person that says, well, I want to avoid confrontation." Your desire to avoid confrontation is more important to you than your loyalty to the friendship. I'm going to suggest that. Because you must know on some level, you must know that if they've hurt you and you fail to address it, you must know that no matter what you do and no matter how much you decide to treat them differently subconsciously, you're going to feel like you have this thing against them. It's much better to go tell them in love, hey, this offended me when you did that. And if you and if you hide behind this idea that I just I don't like confrontation, then I challenge you again. Then you uh, then then that's a bigger value to you than than being loyal to your friends. Loyalty requires confrontation. Jesus says it here in Matthew 18. Okay. And I also think that loyalty requires um, confronting each other. Like I said, um, when somebody's out of step, I'll give you a little uh, lighthearted example. Um, I have really enjoyed um, uh, years ago. Uh, I wanted to. Um, have some real uh, accountability in my life to be. Um, it was specifically had to do with my grandmother. I wasn't even married yet, and I was a pastor of a church up in Brigham. And I was going home for the first time in a while, and I really wondered about my grandmother and Neil's salvation. And I was, but it's like your grandmother, like this is like this bright star in your life that she's a, a matriarch in your family. I don't normally confront her about stuff. That's not how that works. I knew I'd be scared. So I decided to ask for accountability. And I got accountability. The problem is I was too scared to follow through. I went on this trip and I, I told them I wanted to ask her about her salvation and talk to her about it. I chickened out. And I remember coming back and the person was very gracious to me. Hey, I just want to find out what happened with your grandmother. That's the kind of accountability I've appreciated. And uh, years later, um, I did it again. And this time I, I talked to my grandmother. What a blessing that was to talk to my grandmother about salvation. And it was such a relief to me to hear her uh, give me the message of salvation, so that I understood that she really was saved. She really was a believer. Okay, uh, this re- recently we've been trying to get more missional as a church. So I had an idea, an idea a few weeks ago. I thought I've been hearing about uh, the uh, CrossFit and. Um, uh, that uh, it's a kind of workout where um, they have communities. Like they, They're more like a community than, than when you go to the gym. I like going to the gym and stuff, but uh, these are more you do it with other people. And I thought, you know, if we're going to be missional, there's a CrossFit gym in Syracuse. It would be great if we could do that. I, m- I mentioned it to uh, uh, folks like Brent, and Brent thought that was a great idea, but obviously I wasn't at that place where I was about to make it happen. So finally Brent came a couple weeks ago and said, so are we going to do this or not? And because uh, he knew what I wanted to do, you know, and so I got signed up. He gave me a, about a week's grace to he kept texting me, you signed up yet, you signed up yet. And so finally I got signed up and, and I started this class this week. And, and so that's a way that accountability. Um, now, you think that what the story is about is how Brent held me accountable. But this was actually all a setup um, because <laughs> because. Um, <clears throat> If there's one thing, if you look at a guy like Brent and, and you look at a guy like me, it's pretty obvious which one values physical fitness more. And, um, and, and it's me. And, um, and uh, so we started on Monday, and Brent kept texting me, we can keep each other accountable. And I'm just really uh, almost um, sinfully um, glad to report that um, I went all five days this week, and Brent only went four. So... Um, but I want to encourage you, you could do better next time. So. No. Brent, Brent kept me accountable to signing up to CrossFit, and uh, um, I think that um, I'm so glad to have that. And this week, I, I just it's been everything I hoped it would be in terms of relationally and fitness-wise and, and things like that. And that's, um, that's kind of a lighthearted thing of uh, when you hear somebody Um, uh, in your group that you're in relation to, and they say, I want to work on this, that's an invitation for you to follow up next week. No matter what it is, you know. Because listen, keeping the temple pure is also can lead to spiritual harvest as well um, uh, in the right context. And so when somebody says, you know, I'd really like to get better at this. I want to spend more time, I want to make sure that I spend more time with my wife this week. Um, I want to spend more time on the Word. Next week, you might feel like you're being annoying. But it, I think that you've been invited. Ask me next week how that's going. Graciously. Have you had any success with that? Can I help in any way? Okay? True friends. If you're really loyal, you're always going to get into that. Otherwise, I've got to ask you. If, you don't, if you're not willing to do that because you're too afraid of being labeled overbearing, okay, uh, then uh, I have to ask you, is your need to be liked by people more important to you than your need to be loyal to people? Um, and uh, they don't always go hand in hand I think that there'll be times um, Roger and I have developed such a good friendship because we've been together for so long now but maybe there's been times he didn't like me as much as the day before depending on what we're going through as a time but I know he loves me you know. and and it's our job to confront each other about stuff Um, and, and so maybe when you confront about that maybe you're not just liking them in terms of yeah, I want to spend a lot of time with you right now because of what we just talked about. Maybe that does not that's not the feeling, right? But there's this overall love, and we know that's our role in each other's life. That's what it takes to be loyal to each other, guys. That's the kind of loyalty that we need um, in our lives. I hope you've enjoyed listening to the Lakeside Podcast. If you have any questions at all about the message, if you have any struggles you're going through, or if you simply want to respond to what you've heard, We'd love to hear from you. Go to our website at lakesidelife.org and click on the contact page to let us know what's on your heart. We look forward to hearing from you and we'll see you next time.